I wanted to do these episodes in one take, but it looks like I've been getting a lot of call-ins, and the call-ins are specific to the RPG A Day 2021 podcast that I'm putting out. So I'm going to be including call-ins based on these podcasts or referring to these podcasts and then doing my one take. So I guess it's a change. We have to adapt. And uh, here we go. Hey, Carl, Jason here. Traps and tricks and things, puzzles. I think it just depends on the players. I don't necessarily think it's tied to intellect. I, I don't think players that don't like puzzles are stupid or dumb. But I, I do think it, it depends on the player. And some people like those kind of things and some don't. Um, I, you know, I, I like the idea of source, able to source the table and let all the players collaborate on coming up with a solution to a riddle or a puzzle. Because the characters obviously have different knowledge than the players do. That's why there's an intellect score instead of you just use the player's intellect. So I don't have any problem with the being able to source the table for solutions. And, you know, if, if the players really get stuck and they're not going to get past it, I don't necessarily have a problem as a last stitch letting them roll a tribute check or something. But I do prefer them to come up with the answer on their own. For what it's worth, I also am good with sourcing table for things like, you know, if you have to make a social role or if you have to, you know, tactics and things like that. Because, again, the players are going to have knowledge that, I'm sorry, the characters have knowledge the players don't. So I don't see any issue with sourcing the table for those kind of things. Um, I see an issue if players bully other players and say, no, you would do this. That's a problem. But... If a player asks, hey, guys, what do you think, and take that into account in their decision-making process, I think that's totally fair and, and don't have an issue with that. So that's kind of my thoughts on tricks and traps and puzzles and riddles. And I don't necessarily mind them, but I know some players that are intellectual and smart people just don't like them. So, you know, is what it is. Jason, thanks for the call-ins about thinking and puzzles. And I really, and problem solving in general, even when it comes to tactical situations, I think it's a great idea is to crowdsource it at the table so people feel like they're participating, they don't feel left out, and they get engaged. Because you're right, it has nothing to do with intelligence. It's just what you like or don't like about a particular game, or you don't want to hurt your brain maybe sometimes to try to figure out a riddle, and you just want to kick down doors and kill things and pick their stuff. I mean, or you are more invo- interested in like the bigger picture and these little puzzles, uh, they don't help with the solving the mystery either, right? Necessarily. They're just a roadblock and maybe an inconvenience at that. But I think it's a great way to make it more fun and engaging for people who might not normally like that and uh, let everyone at the table shine because you never know that quiet person might have the answer. They just need some encouragement to speak up. Hi, Carl. That is a great episode on think. Um, I think I've said this on on other people's... I I can't remember if I mentioned this on your show or if it's some other podcast I called into a while back. But I talk about us living in the shadow of third edition D&D 
that brought, I mean, fifth edition is, is sort of huge now and bringing record numbers of people into the game. But third edition was the same way, not as big, but it was kind of a, it drew a bunch of people in who'd never played before. You know, it, cur- it was released at the turn of the millennium. It, it sort of brought in a new generation of people who had not grown up playing in the 80s uh, and 90s, uh, brought in a lot of magic players, a lot of people who had who had been video gamers. Um, and I think it created a new play culture, which is some of the stuff that Grognard's <laughs> been griping about since third edition came out. Um, even, even though a lot of them played third edition and enjoyed it as a system, is, is all those things I think created a confluence of a new culture of gaming. And as fifth edition has created another bigger explosion and brought even more people into the game, that's sort of the established culture most of them are being exposed to where there's a role for everything. And they're still, as much as the, the designers of a fifth edition said this was not a game designed to reward min-maxing or optimization um, or anything like that. They, they reduced the number of skills. They wanted to push more rulings over rules, even though that's generally thought of as an OSR rallying cry that that was part of Mike Merle's explanation of sort of the idea behind 5th edition. But kind of despite what the rules say and despite what the designers say when they answer inquiries and questions and, and are interviewed that's kind of the play culture now and so people make the game into what they think it should be or expect it to be even if it's not exactly doesn't have to be necessarily um so i think that's why you know yeah if you if you go back you know there were no perception checks if the dm said well you're looking at a 10 by 10 room with a, a bed and a desk and a chair you have to affirmatively say i'll go and check out that desk are there any drawers you know, I'm going to look under the bed. They don't just say roll a perception and I'll tell you what's hidden in the room. Um, and I think players who have come up 3E on, they still expect those skill rolls and those, those things. Or from a video game that there's just there's just a limited number of parameters and, and I, I guess even then without meaning to, they think, well, there's going to be the, the exclamation part over the NPC's head to tell me which one to talk to or there's going to be some... Something, some, something automated is going to happen to 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 prompt me to do take take a specific kind of action, or make a or respond in a certain way. Um, but I also think you know like like I grew up with Legend of Zelda as a video game. Like my son loves Legend of Zelda. You know, a lot of the the first Legend of Zelda was puzzles and problem solving as much as it was fighting the monsters. Um, so. Maybe his love of Zelda means his generation. Now, Breath of the Wild is, is everything to everybody. Maybe we'll see a generation go back in terms of that. We want to see the the, the problem solving and the puzzles as much as we do just wanting to engage in simulated combat. Anyway, my thoughts on thinking. Hey, BJ, thanks for the series of calls. And yeah, I wonder if 3E is where everything got codified and it was less than about figuring out and getting into the narrative as opposed to looking at your character sheet and rolling your diplomacy or checking for your insight. I mean, a very common thing I'm sure now that you see is when people walk into a new situation and go, oh, can I get a perception check? What do I see? Can I get a perception? Can I 
run my investigation. I mean, I guess it happens in other games like Call of Cthulhu. Okay, I search. What do I notice, right? You know? So, I don't know. I don't know how it's been around or, or where that stems from. But 3E, I would say, definitely made rules for all of that and for everything. And I think we're kind of used to that now. And I, I generally, I don't like a lot of skills. And I'm glad like games like Pathfinder pared things down. And 5E has done that even more. Uh, so that's pretty good. I mean, and I think I think some games in the second edition, like look at Savage World. Uh, the old edition had a, like, so, a lot of skills and sub-skills. And now they just have a set. And they're like, okay, well, mechanic electronics, just roll it into repair, right? So... Climbing, jumping, athletics. So it makes it a little simpler and you don't have to spread out your your precious advances so much, right? So there you go. It's a new way of doing things. Uh, small scale things down, right? Um, but still, everyone looks at their character sheet and sees what they do. It's even more so in like in the in the VTT, you know, um you there's some games that have really good character cheats and some that don't and you can really get away with just clicking a, on a button does the macro for you and you know you don't know what's going on behind the scenes sometimes joe did a really great study on that a few podcasts back and maybe it's true you know what's how are you really doing this um i i feel it's less so at the table i feel like comparing the v, my vtt experience recently to what's going on in my live games, now that we've gotten back to it, it definitely seems there's less staring at the sheet. And I find myself, I don't know what other people are doing, staring at my sheet a lot in the VTT. And I notice my characters are more engaged and not doing that at the table. It's something to think about, as well as having a rule for everything. Thanks again, VJ, for the calls. All right, I'm finally getting around to recording the meat of this episode, I guess. Today's prompt word for RPG a day 2021 is flood. And no, it's not a flood because I got a flood of call-ins from the people that called in, Jason and BJ. So thank you again for calling in. Flood, you know, people are talking about natural disasters. And definitely those are devastating. And it is odd the way RPGs sort of overlook or don't really treat don't go into a natural disaster so much as only a an event on an encounter on a table. I, I don't know. Um, I'll probably call in my thoughts on the other people's thoughts on floods. But to me, and this is going to be a weird one and how our mind works sometimes. So flood, when I think of the flood, I think of the the parasites, the infections by the that were called the flood by the covenant and these are a species of highly virulent parasitic organisms that reproduce and grow by consuming sentient life forms of sufficient biomass and these were introduced in the game halo and right they're the primary antagonist in the halo franchise first Introduced in Halo Combat Evolved and then in Halo 2, 3 and in Halo Wars is pretty interesting. You know, they, I guess Halo, I don't play a lot of 
first-person shooter video games or video games in general. Yes, I'm big into World of Warcraft, or I was back in vanilla and classic, and I've just gotten back into it in the last year with the latest two expansions. It's all right. It's just fun to blow off steam and blow things up and gain power and do crazy things in a video game world. But Halo was the only like video game that I actually played on a regular basis. And I played with a friend of mine. I'd go over to his place and he put on the big screen and we'd kill the flood. So I guess the flood reminds me of you know, military sci-fi because Halo is pretty much military sci-fi first-person shooter. And that gets me into what kind of games and games I can run and play in a, with a military sci-fi vibe. And that all is bandied back and forth. And the, the, the stop I get or the no-go I get for the most part for military sci-fi is, oh, we're going to be under orders from somebody and we're going to be told what to do. And I don't want to be told what to do because my character is independent. I don't want to be railroaded into a series of adventures that my character would never want to do. Eh, I don't know. So, um, have I run military sci-fi in the past? Not really. I had on cue to run Aliens. Um, and with the Colonial Marines operations manual that's just come out, I'm trying to push that back to the front to get people to maybe play some Colonial Marines, like from the Aliens franchise. I did run some military sci-fi in Traveler, and it worked really well, actually. I It was a more or less a one-shot and if you're familiar with the Traveler lore, back in Mega Traveler, um, they they had an expansion. They had an expansion, or so in Mega Traveler, the whole conceit was that the um, another Imperial Civil War started, and that it started with the assassination of the Emperor um, by a, an Archduke. And this happened at the big imperial palace on the core in the capital world. And I actually had an adventure where this was the backdrop event. And there are players who were part of the Aslan delegation, like an alien race. Aslan are roughly cat-like, but they're, you know, evolved from um, tree-faring predators. And their, um, their ambassador was killed in the assassination attempt trying to protect the emperor, right? So pretty interesting there. So I had some Aslan characters who were part of that detachment, his honor guard, and players who were loyal to Strafon. I had a player who was also part of the scout service who was attached to uh, basically the, the equivalent of the secret service bound to protect um, members of the of the imperial family. And he got into some altercations in the Grand Palace. And eventually, like, the players all got together somehow. I don't remember how that happened. But they commandeered a ship and were going to fly after the Archduke and his fleet as they tried to escape the Core World and exact their vengeance out of honor and duty and, well, just vengeance, right? So that was pretty cool. I guess it could have evolved into a campaign. It just never did, unfortunately, even though it had a really great intro adventure start like all in one take type of thing so I've always been wanting to do that right they have like uh, merc type 
supplements that are out there that can help you to run and plan a military sci-fi. And there are adventures here and there, both for Mega Traveler and the Travelerverse. And then in the Traveler, the New Era, there is a whole military sci-fi thing where you are the, some sort of group, the Reese's that were supposed to retake and reconquer the world that had been lost after the Civil War, created a mini long night. Um, that's disruption of trade and all that, and worlds got isolated. So, yeah, they, they scale after Mega Traveler in the Traveler timeline. They basically had a, it was like a the Imperium fell more or less, and it had a there was a period of anarchy, and then you start up some 50 years or so later, maybe longer, trying to reclaim the places of the old Imperium or what have you. So they had a military campaign centered around that, the reclamation. I mean, the game I'm running now, Travel or Twilight 2000, is kind of military sci-fi. It's military alternate history. What if World War III had happened with limited nuclear engagement between NATO and the Warsaw Pact? And uh, in that one, what, how they used to, the original incarnation of the game, you were all military, part of a military unit, and then they eventually expanded so you could be not just U.S., but other, from other places. And uh, eventually, yeah, I don't think they even had ways to, or that you could be a civilian. I'm not sure in the expansions where you go back to the U.S. if that happened you could become a civilian or create a civilian character but it was definitely like all military with the military lingo and the guns and the tanks and all that and it, it definitely does feel that way i think in the new rule set there's more of a chance that you'll don't have there is more of a chance although it is definitely geared towards being in the military but there's more of a chance that you could be a civilian it just depends on what type of archetype you have or if you do the the um, story path version how much of a military background your character gets so there you have it um, I'd like to run an extended military sci-fi campaign probably in the traveler verse although I have other ideas on a campaign to run for traveler and that's what the flood reminds me of the flood those parasitic aliens that you fought in way back in the early aughts in the halo halo verse are there any Halo fans out there? I don't know. I remember doing not just that, but also Red versus Blue and the little cartoons that they used to have. They were pretty funny. So, good stuff. I had a great time playing it. I haven't played a first-person shooter in years since that. But uh, there you go. Happy gaming. And uh, I will talk to you again soon.